0: I am so thrilled to be here again today with Ryan. Um, Those of you who've been around the channel for a while know that I've done a number of episodes with Ryan regarding the mind of the maker and creativity. And Ryan is, um, he does coding. So he has a unique perspective on things. And recently he told me that he's had some deep healing and he wanted to share with the corner what's been happening in his life. And I'm just very excited to hear the story too. So I'm gonna hand it over to you,
1: Ryan. Cool. Thanks Karen. Your... Yeah. So a few caveats just to start with, um, I, I'm, I'm going to just kind of tell a narrative about some stuff that's happened as I perceive it, um, over the past year or so. And I, you know, I might kind of speculate about like what I think happened, but it's so hard to know, you know, I'm sure I'm probably committing some post hoc rationalization and stuff. So like, Please be gracious with me, listeners. Um, yeah, I mean, basically. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to think where to start.
0: That's always the problem, isn't it? Right, I, I know. Wherever well, you start, I, you, know. you, can, you can start and then go back and then go forward. Or right. Or you can start back there and go forward.
1: <laughs> I guess I'll just start with, okay. So you and I met, actually, because I recorded a conversation with Paul Vanderclay a couple of years ago. And I I did that conversation just like right after um, a pretty, you know, a, a pretty intense like breakup, and I was just kind of losing my way in life, and really struggling with like, what religious tradition do I want to be a part of, or do I even believe in God? I kind of felt like my life was just sort of unraveling, and I didn't get into it super much with Paul, but I also was having a lot of like really bad neck, shoulder pain. It would kind of be in my chest as well it's kind of just all in this region all over the place and it's like I had been tense for years and years before that but it got really really bad after this relationship ended and so now I'm in this place in my life where it kind of feels like everything's collapsing and I have all this pain and it's getting worse and worse and I physically feel like I'm collapsing you know and I, I was just kind of in this place where like man nothing is working and I don't feel like I have any options anymore so the thing I would I had always been like having hope in like maybe if I just read a few more books or or try new you know uh, religious tradition orthodoxy Anglicanism you know Pentecostalism something something eventually is going to like stick and heal me and fix me right and it just never happened and I think over the years I started losing hope and um, <clears throat> yeah and so anyway so that was what was going on at the time. And then you and I met because you left a comment on that video that was like, hey, Ryan, have you looked into Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning? I really think the idea of anomaly could be important for you. And so you left that comment and I was like, I don't know what that means. I went and kind of read about it and was like, okay, I feel like Karen's on to something. I don't know what or why, but you know, whatever. So anyway, that'll, that'll be relevant later. But like, Pretty much where I went from there was just, OK, I'm going to I'm going to try my best to like find some find some physical healing, find some emotional healing, work through the religious stuff. And like, I don't know. Um, And so. Let's see. Yeah. OK, so like on the emotional level, I started getting really into like psycho therapy stuff. I was reading a lot of textbooks and just like searching for anything because I had all this anger and anxiety and depression and despair that like really seemed to have no objective reason. You know, I couldn't point to something in my life and like, okay, that's why, you know, because, you know, my upbringing, I mean, we had problems, but like it wasn't, it, it didn't seem proportional to the amount of despair I felt, you know, something seemed incongruent there. And, um, so anyway, I, I would just, I would, I would explore all these things and, you know, it's kind of chic for millennials and Gen Z to like diagnose themselves and to think, oh, I've got, I've got complex PTSD and I've got whatever, and I've got this. And it's like, I was starting to fall into that. And like, um, it, it wasn't helping and I didn't feel like I was going to find any solutions there. It kind of felt like a dead end. Right. Um, but I was listening to all these podcasts and stuff and one kind of hit me like lightning. And it was like, it was an interview with this guy who does hypnotherapy and um, he made this kind of offhand comment that was like, Oh, you know, well, when, when clients don't heal from our work, then I, I take responsibility. I assume I did something wrong. And that hit me because he was basically implying that like, yeah, I'm able to get people what they need most of the time. And the interviewer was also shocked. Like she got really hung up about this. I was like, wait, what? Did I hear you right? And he was like, yeah, like, yeah, yes. You know, which I found so bizarre. I was like, either this guy is really, really onto something or he's just full of crap, you know? So I started looking into him and read a couple of his books and it was intriguing, but Pretty much that opened up a world to me which was um kind of very like cutting edge neuroscience getting integrated with the counseling world. Right. And that, you know, there there's there's hypnotherapy, but there's other stuff, like what Bruce Ecker does, which, you know, you interviewed him a few months ago. And I got really interested in that because Bruce Ecker's work seemed not as crazy to me as the hypnotherapy, but it still felt very um coherent, you know, no pun intended, because his work is called coherence, you know, his, his whole deal basically is is seeing things in terms of um, the purpose they're serving for us. And so depression isn't just some random chemical imbalance. It's not just a thing that happened and it's meaningless. It's actually very meaningful, you know, so you you see it through this lens of, oh, okay, it's serving a purpose. and you, And then you're curious, what is that purpose? And then you don't just stay in your head cognitively trying to figure it out because it it doesn't work. You have to actually engage with your system kind of on a a deeper experiential level and let, let kind of the truths bubble up out of that. And the irony kind of, once you get into that is like what bubbles up is actually very obvious, kind of like the nose in front of your face. You know, it's like your nose is always in your field of vision, but you're kind of always filtering it out, you know, and that's, sort of the vision behind this kind of coherence framework. And so I got really interested in that. I went to a coherence therapist and started trying that. So anyway, that's what was going on on the emotional level, right? On the physical level, I had all this pain and it was just, I couldn't do anything with it. It's like, it would always feel like at the beginning, it was always kind of right here. And I would massage this area all day. I would try fixing my posture. I would do all these stretches. I went and got an MRI to see if it was like nerve damage. I mean, I I was trying everything. Float tanks, massages, um, yoga. And it just nothing seemed to be making much of a difference, Um, which was very frustrating, you know, because it's like, okay, if I can't improve and I'm already feeling like at 30 years old, my body's falling apart like someone who's significantly older than like this does not bode well for my life you know um and so i guess like as i got into the coherence therapy because part because it involves getting below your cognition and sinking into your kind of subcognitive layer it i was very bad at that i found uh, it, it was very, very hard for me to connect with my body or, or you know, whatever we would do in these sessions. Sometimes it was like connecting with your inner child, which sounds all woo. But basically, I mean, it's just a it's just a way of connecting with like what's actually going on, not just your thoughts, you know. And basically, I found that I was so bad at that, that I started doing John Verveke's meditation series because I was thinking like, well, that's probably going to help you know, like learning how to meditate, learning how to like take more control and have more awareness of my whole system. Right. Um, so that was all going on. So that's kind of the emotional, the physical, and then spiritually or religiously or whatever. Um, I was kind of at a dead end with, um, I had been trying liturgical traditions like orthodoxy, Anglicanism, and it, it, it was beautiful. I felt a deep sense of transcendence, but I, was, I, I also felt a lot of despair. And it, it didn't seem like that was going anywhere, right? And so I was kind of like on the verge of giving up. And then I met someone who, you know, goes to a church um, that he invited me to. It was more like what I grew up with, kind of a smaller, non-denominational, just basically Baptist style church. And I decided, why not? At least, you know, that's mapped territory for me, but at least I can have good friends there and it'll be a tradition I understand and know how to engage with, you know. And I just found that like, as I went there, there is something about this church that is is very special to me in terms of um, they're very relational and people seem to care about each other on a personal level more than the the theology and the abstractions and like what camp are you a part of you know no one was ever asking me if i was a calvinist or anything it was just people wanting to spend time with me you know and i felt very safe there and i felt very known and i think what happened is as i felt that safety and had you know deep conversations with people i kind of felt safe enough to start <laughs> unraveling in a way um You know, because I had been working at churches for years and I had done all these leadership things and whatever. And I think when I was in those roles, I didn't feel safe enough to unravel because like it would ruin my life. It would affect other people. I can't do that. But now that I felt the safety, it was like, okay, I can let it all go. And I guess you would say I deconstructed. I don't like that term very much, but it's basically what happened, you know. So, sorry, I'm talking a lot, but like, does this all kind oh, of make no, sense Oh, no, this so is, I am,
0: it's absolutely gripping. Every word is gripping, okay. so just keep going.
1: <laughs> okay. So, so these, these things are all kind of happening in tandem, right? And there was, and I, and I felt like I was starting to get a sense of um, control, a sense of agency. It was like, okay, somehow through all of this, I'm now getting it. You know, like Paul, or uh, Verveki talks about like optimal grip. Like being able to grasp the world and and have control, I was starting to feel a little bit of that. And then there was this moment, um, well basically, okay, so the the coherence therapy, I mean, the the goal basically is to discover like, what are those deep beliefs that you're kind of filtering your whole world through, you know, because we acquire those usually at a young age. And then, although they can happen later from trauma and stuff, but like, basically you have these beliefs and you you learn to interpret all the data that's coming into you from the world through those beliefs, right? And if those beliefs are are, are wrong or um, just not serving you very well, then that's going to cause problems because you've got this kind of deformed belief that now everything is coming to you through that. And so all you're really seeing is this, right? Um And so the goal through the coherence therapy was to kind of sink into the subcognitive and figure out like, what is that belief and why is it there? And what is it trying to protect? Right. Because usually what's happening is like, you've got some deep, deep fear that you're not willing to confront. And so instead you kind of concoct this layer, this protective layer of, of beliefs and rationalizations to, so that you can avoid dealing with the fear, you know, something like that. Um. And, you know, if people are are interested in that, they can go watch Karen's video on, you know, where he interviewed or where Karen interviewed Ecker. And I think that'll probably be a much clearer explanation than what I'm doing here. But basically, I was really bought into this paradigm. It felt very true to me that like, okay, something like that's happening here. And there was a session where I feel like we got there and it was very powerful. It was very cathartic. It was very intense. Um. And it's, it's hard to even put into words because it felt like I had descended down into like the very bottom of, of of myself. And what I found down there was just deep, deep fear, despair, hopelessness. I had this image of me like being a baby, sitting in a crib and just having just utter despair, just no hope at all. And it's like, I don't, I'm not saying that that's like a real memory or anything. Like, I have no idea what that is, but engaging with that and then letting the reality of like, wait, no, I'm not a helpless baby. I'm a grown, healthy adult who has a good life and a good job and friends like basically I had to let the truth of all of that sink down into that deep place where I didn't really believe it because in that deep place, what I fundamentally believed was I'm utterly broken. I'm utterly hopeless. I'm utterly alone. And there's nothing for me, but despair, you know? (laughs) And it's like, as I let the kind of reality sink down there, it started to transform that. And it was like, it's such a hard experience to describe because it's almost like I had been watching a movie, like, like, you know, you go to a world war II movie, you go to the theater, you're, you're immersed in this movie for two hours and your nervous system kind of believes that you're there. Right. It's like, Oh, like you, you, you walk out of the theater and you're still kind of like really down. And then you walk out of the sunlight and it's this jarring realization, like, wait, it's not the 1940s. It's 2023. And I'm, I'm not in, Europe. I'm in the U.S. You know, you start kind of coming to reality and and ugh, you shake off the, the the feeling of despair that came from the movie. That's exactly the kind of feeling I had after doing this coherence work. It was I had almost that, like I had
0: that exact experience when we went to see Schindler's List. Really? In the middle of Schindler's List. I, I first of all, there, it, we came to so many places in that movie. I just didn't want to stay there because it was so intense. And at one point, I just had to use the restroom and I got up. I walked out into the lobby, and I was like looking around, like I was afraid that people were going to grab me. I, I was; it was so intense the feeling of reality that that movie, in, you know, yeah, impressed upon me. Right. And uh, and then after the movie, and we went out onto the street, and it's like, oh, <laughs> this is this is not Nazi Germany. Right. Yeah, yeah and, and you, you kind of have a moment. Of That's a beautiful analogy. I mean, I can really. Yeah. Get a picture. And I, and I
1: think it really speaks to like, like, that's how we are. Like we, you know, we're so Cartesian these days. We like to think like, oh, my writer is in control. My, my cognition is in control of everything, but it's not. Your nervous system is in control. And when you're watching a movie, your nervous system is immersed in that movie. And like, a, like as if it's there, you know, and like that, that is how we operate, whether we like it or not. And, and yeah, I mean, that is basically what I experienced through this coherence therapy, it felt as if the first 30 years of my life had been watching a sad movie. But all of a sudden I like woke up or like got out of, left the movie and was like, Ugh, that was sad. But now I'm like walking out in the sunlight and it's like, wait, it's, it was very disorienting. I mean, it took a month or two, honestly, to like start to get used to I mean, because quite literally, like I would wake up in the morning and, for for decades before that my first thought every morning was just that despair and that anxiety and just all the all the garbage you know and i would look around the room and just feel sadness i would feel like this room's empty and i live alone and i'm single and i you know all those despairing thoughts would be the thoughts on my mind you know but after after whatever happened in that coherence therapy session i would wake up and my first thought was like the beauty of the light coming through the window and the rays it was making on the ground and just like how I liked having my dog there and how I was excited to go to work and like start my day. I mean, I can't describe how night and day the experience was because it's like all of a sudden through no effort of my own, I'm seeing things differently now. You know, my external circumstances haven't changed at all, but what's happening is I'm now seeing differently. I'm now, you know, that, that belief got changed. And now I'm filtering it through a much more positive of lens. And so every, all the information that's coming at me in the world is now filtered through something that's more hopeful and optimistic. And like, oh, I have agency, I have opportunities, you know, it's no longer this kind of sense of collapsing, but it was a sense of unfolding possibility, right? And it's not something that it took me, like, I didn't have to discipline myself to get there. What had to change was what is that bedrock belief that's like way, way, way down there how do you, how do you transform that? You know, and, um, you know, this started playing out on the physical level as well, because I think what happened was as I, as I was doing Verveki's meditation stuff, and as I was having these kind of emotional transformations, I was getting better and better at paying attention to my system and realizing like, okay, what is, what is causing problems in my system or or, or what information is my system telling me? Right. Mm -hmm. So for example, the, with, with all the muscle pain, it was like, I just felt pain here all the time. It was always kind of back here and I would massage this and it didn't help at all. And as I got better at listening to my system, I realized, wait, that's not the source that's referred pain from somewhere else. And the referred pain is coming from down here, like more kind of in my armpit region. And that was a big light bulb moment for me because once I started like mass massaging that more and paying attention to like, okay, not just where is the pain surfacing, but like, where does it feel like it's coming from? That was what started to actually help with the physical pain. And that's taking months and months of hard <laughs> work, you know, like mm-hmm. self fascial release and all that kind of stuff. And like a PT could probably help me do it more efficiently. But honestly, it's really been an empowering process to, like, learn how to pay attention and learn how to be able to do what I need to do on my own. And it's transformed me physically. Like, like a year ago, I could move my neck about this much before I would start feeling tension and pain. Like, at this point, I'd be, like, in agony, which is, like, really sad. It was an awful place to be, right? I mean, that's how kind of rock solid stiff I was. And now it's like, I just don't, I feel so much better. You know, it's like, that's not there. I still have some of the pains and like, it's still probably going to take a few more months to like really work it all out. But like, I'm very optimistic now. Like I know what to do. I know how to do it. I, I can predict about how long it's going to take. You know, it's very like, I have agency over the situation and it required me again to pay attention to my system. Right. And so I don't know, I guess all that to say is like, Oh, a really important part of this too is um, in the days after I had that experience where I, in the session, I kind of sank down into that place of despair. Um, What was, what started happening after that was I would go to church. And at this point I was going to church, but I like, I was telling people I'm not a Christian anymore. Like I, I was explicitly denying Christ. I was like, I don't believe this. I'm here for friends. I'm here just to be here. I'm here because some part of me kind of intuitively felt like I should be here. And what happened after that session was I was happier for no discernible reason, you know, and I would have these moments in worship where I just felt flooded with a sense of God's presence and God's character. And I would have these these visuals of like me as as a scared little kid in the Garden of Eden and God coming For his daily walk with me, you know, and I would have these experiences like that, or like, I would have a visual of um, being a little sheep caught in some thorns, you know, and I'm I'm afraid and I don't, you know, I don't know where everyone else is. And then the shepherd comes along and at first I'm terrified, but I, I look up and realize he's not mad at me. Like he came here because he cares about me, you know. It's like all these, all these stories that I'd heard thousands of times cognitively, but they had never, I had never allowed them to sink into that deep place. It's like, now I had unlocked that and all this was sinking down there. And it was like, oh, there's a God who loves me and he's not mad at me and he's going to forgive me. And he actually wants me around, you know, and he's joyful. And it was like, I had never, I'd never experienced that before which is sad because, I mean, I I had gone to churches for years. I had been a youth pastor at multiple churches, like, but I had never experienced this. It was always just an idea, you know? And at this point now it's like, it became very experiential and it's, it's been wild. Like at church, you know, I, I, I historically have been kind of like a a very heady kind of critical person. Like I'd listen to a sermon and kind of have my, you know, have my issues with it. And especially the more I got involved with this little corner, you know, I (laughs) I just, so yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, But what I'm, what I'm realizing now I'm, I'm applying the same kind of coherence framework to it. So like I'll be sitting in a sermon and I'll be paying attention, like what's going on in my body. And what I'm realizing now is that those Those were just defense reactions because of some thing I didn't want to look at. And so if I started getting hot and bothered about something during a sermon, it wasn't because I actually disagreed with it. It was usually because it made me feel something that I didn't want to feel and I didn't want to confront that. And so I would immediately just defend against it with with theology and philosophy and just like whatever, you know, and I've found that as I allow myself to first be aware of that process and recognize that that's what's happening. I can actually engage with it and process it and let it happen. And then I'm, I'm good. Like I can, I can just have the most peaceful time sitting in church, listening to whoever doing whatever, like, it, like, I'm just not bothered by stuff, you know, because now I'm able to like see why it's bothering me and address it. Then I'm good, you know? And it's just, it's been so life's just different now and i hope this is permanent you know i, I can't who knows a year from now it could be in the pits again but like i don't think so like it really feels like something happened um
0: well i mean you will no doubt face grim challenges yet in the future right but now you know you have a picture of the way the world can look and yeah you didn't have that before you didn't have yeah. that before right Right, For whatever reason um, you didn't have it, or and, before. You and this is
1: what you, yeah, this is what you were picking up on. I think intuitively, like when you listened to me talk with Paul Vanderclay, you know, a couple of years before this experience, I was still very heady and just like trying to figure out life. And you told me, "Hey, you need to figure out anomaly," and you were right. Like, because basically, that's what happened here. Right? Is like, it's almost like. As a kid, I learned to be so afraid of anomaly, so afraid of the unknown, that it just blocked it out. It was like, I'm just going to protect myself at all costs, not let anything in from the outside. Which, yeah, maybe in some sense prevented me from dealing with scary things, but also it prevented me from receiving love, you know. And what's happened now is I got to that place where I was finally willing to let the anomaly in and deal with it, and integrate the shadow, or however you you want to put it, but it's like now I can do that, and I'm realizing, oh, that's empowering, and that's what life, like, a good life involves being able to do that well, you know, being able to have a center, and be grounded, but also let the unknown, like, let yourself encounter the unknown, and, and integrate it, or dispel it, or do whatever needs to be done with it, and I couldn't do that before, and now I can, and so yeah, it's like, I just, yeah, I feel a sense of agency that I've never felt in my life, you know.
0: Well, I can certainly see how disorienting that would be. If if you're accustomed to waking up a certain way, and then all of a sudden you start waking up a different way, you must have sort of had this feeling of... Almost like an out-of-body experience. Like, like, who is this that's living inside my head?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, it, one thing, I mean, this is strange to say out loud, but like, yeah. So at first, I just thought I was going through some kind of manic high or something. I thought, like, I've lost my mind. I must be, maybe I'm descending into psychosis. I have no idea.
2: And then I would,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, really? And then I would have these experiences where I was like walking around, looking at trees and enjoying nature so much that I like, I felt like I was like high or drunk or something all the time. And what I realized was like, no, that's just what it feels like when you're relaxed. And I had so rarely felt relaxed because my whole nervous system always was in this state of hypervigilance, like protect from the anomaly. Don't ever let anything in. Like that was like, what I just did was kind of a visual representation of how I always felt. Always, always, always on edge, you know? And now to be, relaxed and not have that is like yeah I mean it's it's like just being (laughs) you know Dallas Willard describes joy as a something like a a deep sense of well-being and I I feel like I'm like a lot closer to that now it's like I, I always struggled with kind of joy and happiness and just being able to like let loose with friends and have fun and be goofy and all that stuff and it's like it's not hard now because I have a I have a sense of well-being and part of it too is because like you know i I had this question for years and years about like okay where does you know if this if this kind of healing is going to be available where's it going to come from you know um and it always kind of felt like this this tension between like well I could pray to Jesus pray to the father whatever try to find it in religion and try to hope that one day it'll just happen. You know, I did that for years and it didn't really seem like it was working. And so I kind of shifted more into, yeah, looking at it in terms of like psychology and like trying to figure out, okay, can I hack the brain and figure out how to do whatever needs to be done? And it's like, based on the story I just told, you could kind of interpret it in both ways, right? Like it is true that I figured out, you know, Bruce Eckers work on coherence therapy and memory reconsolidation and all that stuff is, it seems what I needed, you know, but also the things that I was being taught in church for years and years was also true. I mean, that's what happened. You know, I needed to let God in. I needed to believe, I needed to believe that he was good and he loved me and that he would have grace for me. And I would go to mentors and, 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 you know, for years and years. And pretty much that's what they would tell me. They'd be like, you know, Ryan, you just need to believe that God loves you. Like, it's not, you know, so it's like, that is how I was feeling. I get
0: kind of upset when, and I get upset because I I used to do that myself. So that's why I'm upset with people who Mm -hmm. do that. Because (laughs) it's so unfair to do to people. You just need to do this. Well, maybe that's the hardest thing in the world to do. Maybe that's why. Yeah. It's so hard for people to come to faith because maybe that is the hard thing. And then for somebody to say, oh, you just need to do this, like it's easy, yeah. is is it's like putting burdens on people that it's not fair to put on people. But I have another thought for you, Ryan. Yeah. And and so you haven't told the people what you're doing now. You've made a little bit of a shift in your career path.
1: Yeah. You're so actually making
0: some training to become something else. Right.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm in school for counseling. So clinical mental health counseling. What's really funny about that is I actually signed up for school the day I watched your interview with Bruce Ecker, because that was what sold me on it. And that was before I had experienced any of this healing, but I was so convinced like his framework made so much sense for me and it had so much explanatory power. Because I think people need to understand, it's not just like, it's not just like an explanation that is just another of the thousands of psychology explanations. He He's attempting to make it an, a, a meta explanation. It's an explanation that explains why all these other explanations work. It's like an integrative framework. And it was so explanatory for me. It did such a good job of integrating everything in my head. I was like, oh, this seems really, really real. And it was so exciting to me and so compelling to me that I was like, I want to go study this stuff, you know? And I was pretty confident that like that was going to lead to this result that now has happened, you know? So it's funny because like, I, I just, I don't know. I just had this confidence that like now, like I have an explanation for how it all works and I, now I need to just go do it. But the go doing it part was terrifying for a while you know because it was like getting opening up and letting letting all that stuff happen that i didn't want to happen but
0: well so the little thing i'd like to put in here is yeah if this had happened for you a year ago hmm. or two years ago um you had the let's say you had the talk with paul Vanderclay and voila all the despair goes right. away and you're happy again You probably would have done coding for the rest of your life. Be a happy little coder. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, but what you have now because of the pain and the suffering and the struggle that you've gone through is that you have a story that can help so many other people that are in that same place. And this is why I really, the older I get, the more I just have to trust God's timing because we think, oh, we want this to happen right now, but some things, if they happen right now, you're not you're not ready. You're not prepared for what God has for you in the future. Yesterday, we were listening to a pastor talk about the story of Joseph, and he said, from the very beginning, God showed Joseph that he had leadership qualities. He gave him a dream and showed him, you're going to be a leader, but if he had just poof made Joseph a leader, then Joseph would have been a leader amongst his brothers in a in a little village right. someplace, um, managing some sheep. But instead, right. he had to take Joseph through this journey of of abandonment and rejection and slavery and then uh, betrayal and imprisonment and being forgotten and this whole long journey that's peeling away all the garbage so that he was ready in the moment to become a leader of millions and save millions of people so when when we're in the midst of that kind of pain and suffering i think it's just so you know i it sounds like a cliche when the, they put the little verse up that says give thanks in all circumstances but I I begun to believe that there is some kind of a purpose in all circumstances. Now it's really hard to say that to somebody when they're really suffering. Yeah, oh, just right. give thanks. <laughs> no, I don't think that's the appropriate thing to do. But right. but but if that person can learn to see that circumstance as this is here to teach me, this is um, well, maybe not. It's not here to teach me, but. Can, can I learn something from this circumstance? Can I let go of something that is maybe hindering my path through this circumstance? You know, whatever can happen there um, can give some meaning to the pain and suffering and help yeah. you through it. And and then 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 you then you have the backward look. You can look back and say, oh, I see how all this stuff worked together to bring me to where I am because there is a purpose for my life that I wouldn't have known if I had just jumped ship you know 10 years ago
2: yeah
1: yeah and it's like it, it I mean it's it's so early for me like I don't have that kind of retrospective yet but I, I imagine I will and you know something Something that's been on my mind is, you know, there's that that verse in maybe the Psalms or whatever that's like, you know, the Lord will restore the years that the locusts have have eaten or something.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That and that used to bother me so much because it felt like like, no, that time is gone. Like I I can't have that back. I can't I can't go back and live a childhood where I didn't have this intense, intense anxiety, you know. But what's really curious. Is, you know, one thing I was learning as I was studying Bruce Eckers stuff was that like, basically memories are not just event memories, but we also have memories of emotions and memories of like connections with, between stuff. It's very complicated, right? And we store the emotions as part of the memory, right? And so when this stuff gets transformed, when it gets reconsolidated, the feeling associated with the memory can also get reconsolidated. Right. Which basically means like, and, and that's what I've been experiencing. And it's very hard to describe. And, and, I, and I feel like it might offend people because it might sound like dismissive or whatever. But like what's happened is I felt that that despair that was so intense for years. But like it's getting the feeling itself is getting replaced in my mind. And so now I can remember the fact that I had that despair, but I can't remember the despair. I don't feel it now and I can't access it. Like if I were to sit here and try to like throw myself back into it, I don't think I could. Like it's not there, you know? And so in some real sense, it feels like that verse from the Psalms has been manifested in my life. It's like the past wasn't rewritten in terms of, you know, literal, historical stuff, but the, but for all intents and purposes, the past has been rewritten for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and, and so like, and and it's been much easier to forgive as a result of that, you know, now it might've been more, um, you know, it would have been better for me to forgive anyway, you know, to forgive years ago before, I had this experience but it's like now that i don't have that sense of hopelessness it's like i can you know i can see the issues in my family and recognize like okay there's some stuff that contributed to me being this way but also i i, I feel like i can let go of that much more easily you know and so it's just been it's just been redemptive in so many ways that i didn't think were possible you know um
0: well, what's what's really interesting is the way these things all interweave together. Like the coherence therapy is basically coming from strictly a psychological viewpoint. Yep. But then the, the lessons learned from the coherence therapy and the spiritual depth and, and learning to trust God's goodness and his plan for you weaves together with those things that you learn from the coherence therapy in such a way that the whole thing is like nested now it's uh yeah it's all nested like like russian dolls
1: right yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's the same it's the same pattern at different levels of abstraction and i mean so like that idea has come up in a lot of ways through all this in ways that are like Kind of woo and kind of weird and like <laughs> I'm hesitant to talk about them because people might think I'm a psycho, but like, you know, so okay, for example, I I noticed so much connection between mind and body stuff as I was doing this because what would happen is um I would I would it was so relieving to like realize like oh I need to release tension like in my armpit area and like kind of these tendons and down here. Like I started doing that. And it became so, um, healing that I would just do it for hours. Like when I had free time in the evening after work, I would just, that's what I would do. I'd put on a podcast or whatever and just like sit and do that. And what would happen eventually as I got better at listening to my body or listening to my system, I would realize that like, as I was releasing stuff, it was also, I was having memories and it was memories I had not had access to in, in years, you know? some of them were sad some of them were happy you know some of the, sometimes it would be like a memory of me feeling really lonely as a kid or sometimes it would be a memory of me at the beach with my dad and just being happy and catching crabs and and stuff you know but it's like all those memories had been locked up and like i had i didn't have access to them you know and so it was like it was all releasing or, or I was getting getting access to these memories again as I was releasing the tension in the muscles, you know, which was extremely curious. And um,
0: I think there's a bio what bio something Biometric bio um, morphogenetic reason for that because we store memories in our cells not only in the neurons but but we have we have body memory and yeah. i think mostly they think that that body memory is just um like maybe how to keep your balance when you're on a bicycle or something like that because right. that's totally not a brain thing right that, that's yeah. your body that's your um, proprioception with your when your feet hit the floor and all that kind of thing that that stores in your body but who's to say that there's not memories stored in your, I mean, I had this, you know, I, I did a lot of body work with Aaron Parnell and um, we've talked about this before. And I had experiences when he was working on releasing some of the, the, the major fascia because I was having a lot of problem with my hips and knees and a lot of struggles when I, when I was younger. And as he'd release that fascia sometimes, not always, but every once in a while, it would be like I could feel this electric buzz start at the top of my head and run right through my body all the way out. And it was like it was this really sounds woo, but it's like it's shooting out the ends of my fingers and shooting out the ends of my feet. Not like light or electricity or something went through my body. I couldn't yeah. see anything. I, I could. It was just an experience. And then sometimes I would just start sobbing like some huge deep healing was happening as this, as these things were being released. Yeah. And, uh, he always said to me, much of your problem is from what living your whole life like this kind of hunched over and, in and, and this pushing everything inward actually not only has a physical manifestation of damaging your, um, your posture, it's right. Putting your body out of balance, but it also is training your mind somehow that that you're not safe and that the you know you so so your yeah. your whole thing is fitting together. I need to make my own refuge. I need to be my own you know my right. own shelter. But then that shoves everything in on top of itself. (laughs) So when that gets released, there's this tremendous feeling of freedom. I mean, the first time he he got these fascia released so that I could actually breathe. I remember driving home and the feeling of intoxication from just getting oxygen into my lungs Mm -hmm. in a real way for the first time in like 30 years. It was unbelievable. I had no idea oxygen could do that. Right.
2: <laughs> you know.
0: So, maybe well, I feel a lot less those crazy. oxygen bars, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I. I mean, I, I'm glad you described all that because that's that's exactly what my assumption has been. Because, like, basically, what I discovered is it all it all seems to revolve around rounded shoulder for me, and mm-hmm. that like. It almost feels as if like this stuff got pulled together, and then this stuff had to like get tighter to compensate to try to like mm-hmm. pull it back some. Mm-hmm. And it's been this kind of back and forth war between these, mm-hmm. you know. Because and, your body, yeah, want, your
0: body works really hard to hold you upright. Yeah. And he, what one of the things he told me is that um, back then I was carrying a lot more extra weight even than I am now, and a lot of that weight I was carrying up here in the back, upper back. And he said, your body puts that weight on your upper back to counterbalance, to hold you back, because that's what gives you, that's what keeps you upright. If you start walking around like this, you're going to fall over on your face, but your body is working hard to keep you upright.
1: And and so so that's weird. I mean, it's just like so weird. (laughs) But like that's, that's Bruce's. Coherence framework applied at, you know, instead of applying it to emotional states, applying it to physical state. It's the same thing, right? It's our body is is finding ways to adapt. And those adaptations can be painful, you know? And that the adaptation might be what we're noticing the most, but Mm -hmm. it's a clue to help you figure out, like, oh, that's the adaptation. Here's the source. Let's deal with the source, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, It's just wild. It's just wild how it all works. Another thing I wanted to talk with you about. um, I, so, you know, I had gone to various doctors and PTs and stuff and like, they would give me exercises, but they were basically like, I don't know, man, you just, you're just really tight. And that was kind of the end of it, you know, it's like, well, okay, but like, I I wanted a fix, you know, but anyway. um, (laughs) And so, I got to where at first I was again, really cognitive and really like trying to figure out, like, okay, what are the tendons? And I was looking at diagrams and all this kind of stuff. But eventually I gave up on that. and was like, let me just listen to what my body is telling me and work through stuff based on that alone, which felt really weird and unscientific, you know, but like what happened was I started developing these, these kind of heuristic models for helping me understand what might be happening. And, And I knew the models weren't true in a physicalist sense, but they were very powerful for helping me work through it. So like the first model I came up with was, well, it feels as if energy wants to move through my body. You know, it feels like there's energy that's that's trapped or it has desires to go somewhere. And so I just started like as I would massage, I would think about that. I would imagine like, okay, let's play pretend and imagine this really is energy wanting to move through my body. And that would actually help me do it far more effectively, you know? And as I listened and got better at listening, the the model kind of shifted and it shifted more towards like imagining that there's like these these little rubber bands all throughout your body and that over time they can get a little twisted and then solidified with Velcro or something, right? Or like a little bit of glue. And that's just happening over and over and over in layers and layers because that's exactly what it feels like as I'm releasing it. And as I immerse myself in that model I made up, which probably doesn't correspond to reality, but either way, it's it's enormously helpful. As I engage with that heuristic model, I'm able to get a better grip on the world and like do the thing I need to do. Does that make sense? And it's left me in this place of wondering like, okay, so for one thing, we live in a culture where we're taught to completely ignore our intuitions, you know, from from the age of five, you know, you go to school and it's like, You've run around in the sun your whole life, but now you're being taught, no, 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 that, you know, your perception is is totally an illusion. The sun is actually this ball of gas that's millions of miles away. And like, you can't trust your own perceptions at all. Don't trust your intuitions. Trust what's being handed to you from on high. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not denying that the sun is a ball of gas. You know what I mean? But it's like, because we're taught not to look at things through our own experiences, we're taught to completely ignore phenomenon as we actually experience them. Of course, I would end up in a situation where I don't know how to listen to my body, right? Because that's, <laughs> that's what was conditioned in me from a young age. Don't pay attention to your own intuitions. Don't pay attention to your own body. Come up with models that are handed to you from someone else that are very scientific. And it's like, okay. Well, those models are useful for some things, but they're not useful for everything, right? Like, if I'm wanting to figure out how to stretch my body better, maybe a very physicalist, scientific model isn't really what I need. Maybe I need a model that's more heuristic and what we call woo, you know? And and, and as I started thinking more in those terms, stuff just started making so much sense to me, you know? I mean, even... Even looking at stuff in terms of like chakras or whatever, it's like I don't really believe in that in any any real sense, but I can see it probably has some great heuristic value, you know. And if it has that heuristic value, then like that means something, you know? It's 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 the same that that Paul Vanderclay used to talk about with like that that anecdote about the you know, the the village that had all this kind of um mythology around like spirits in the water and that they would see that when the when the water was moving they would say oh the spirits are angry we need to get away well that would save them from tsunamis and so we're kind of talking about the same thing here right it's like okay is that a spirit it served a purpose it helped them get an optimal grip on the world so like why are we poo-pooing those kinds of models of reality you know and if me imagining energy running through my body and wanting to go places is a model that helps me get a grip on reality, then why are we poo pooing that? You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. And like, well, and the other thing about the thing, thinking about energy wanting to go through your body, and and <laughs> this really sounds <laughs> go for it. <laughs> but it's as though you you're you're learning to express love to to give grace to those parts of your body to say i want to give you what you need um i think so many times we we tell we try to tell our body what it needs yeah either because of what the the scientists you know the the uh the government pyramid of what you're supposed to eat or, you know, what the scientists say or whatever. We're trying to tell our body what it needs, but maybe, maybe our body loves us and we love our body, you know, and and if you are listening to your body and trying to give it what it needs, then you're, you're, you know, I mean the verse, love others as you love yourself. If you, you're learning to love yourself in a way that's bringing healing to your body then when you go out as a therapist you're going to be able to offer more help for others in how to heal themselves mentally and physically yeah especially if you can articulate these heuristics that you're coming up with in such a way or find a you know find a appropriate academic way to talk about them so that it can be convincing to other people who are doing it as well. You know, you can have an impact on a field where um, there are a lot of people who are hurting that can't find any answers. And maybe because of your experience and your willingness to love your body in that way, then you can offer help to other people as well. Does that make sense?
1: I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so as I've been in school and learning kind of the history of counseling and stuff, it's it's really interesting to me. Um, but, yeah, it seems like I'm encouraged because it seems like the whole field is starting to move in this direction, at least parts of the field, you know, because it started off with, you know, like like Freud, you know, being very um, kind of what you were describing with the food pyramid, very outside in, very like, OK, I'm going to listen from the outside and you're just going to dump all the information on me you know, me being Freud and then Freud, I'm over here, I'm going to process it. And then I'm going to decide what you need, you know, and where it seems like we're really shifting more to a place of recognizing that people's systems know what's wrong and what's needed. And that all we're doing as counselors is we're facilitating them coming into contact with that, getting better at listening to it, you know, having, having all that stuff surfaced and made aware you know um which is a it's, it's a super different paradigm you know because it's no longer like i need to get all the information and psychoanalyze you it's like we're throwing out psychoanalysis and we're just saying no you just need to experience and be aware and i'm gonna guide you through help like i'm gonna help you learn to become more aware and learn to engage more with your experiences but the default assumption there is kind of like, well, the body will heal itself. The mind will heal itself. It knows how to do that. There are mechanisms in place and there's tons of scientific research that's being done on, you know, like the me- the mechanism of memory reconsolidation. It seems to be something that's very powerful and it's a way for, you know, it, it could be one of the mechanisms behind plasticity, let's say. And, and now we're, we're learning how to just encourage that that mechanism to get triggered in people. But it's not like as the counselor, I'm not the one doing the work. The person's mind is doing the work, you know, the person's system is doing the work. um, And so, and that just makes so much sense to me, you know, and then, and that's so consonant with this idea that like, there's a good God who created the world and he created our systems to be self healing, you know, within reason. I mean, if I cut my arm off, I'm still going to need to, go to the ER and it's not going to grow back. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It just, it all feels so coherent, you know?
0: Well, that's exactly what Aaron Parnell taught me when he was doing the body work is that his job, he thinks of himself as a healer, but he said his job is not to change the body at all. It's just to, um, release the fascia, the, the tight muscles, The way he described it one time is if you can imagine the Golden Gate Bridge as this series of girders and and the the girder, if you think of the girder as a stack of bricks instead of a pole, and then there's these tension wires pulling down on either side. Well, if one of those bricks gets a little bit out of place, this, let's say this wire is too tight. And so that pulls things out of place in the stack of bricks. Well, you, a, a chiropractor can put the brick back into place. Now you're right. straight again, but that, that wire is still too tight on this side. Yeah. So pretty soon that brick is going to get pushed out again. And then the chiropractor pushes it back into place, but this thing is still too tight. So even if the thing is pushed out of place, if that wire can be released so that it's balanced with the other side of the, the girder, then the back will line itself back up again. Right. And so he would do all this work, releasing all these muscles and everything, especially this thing where I was all crunched up like this. And yeah, when he'd get done working on me, when I'd stand up off the table, honestly, I just felt like I, I couldn't even walk. I was, everything was out of balance. And, and he would say, walk up and down the hall twice. And just the minute you start ambulating, that sends a message to your body. Okay. Okay, we got to get in line here, and everything just lines up. So within yep. like 50 steps, your body just everything lines up. And once you've experienced it, you understand that God put everything in place for your body to heal itself. Mm-hmm. But we do all these things to damage ourselves. So then it can't, can't heal. <laughs> you know, yep. we we create all these obstructions. I, I'm very good at creating obstructions <laughs> for myself. So a lot of the things that you said about um the coherence therapy makes me think I really I need to revisit that again.
2: Yeah. Because I mean I, mean,
0: so- I, I feel like in many ways I've had many layers of healing, but there are still things that I know are hinder, you know, hindrances I've created for myself that keep me from accomplishing the things that right. I accomplished.
1: Yeah. And if, if the most empowering part of it for me has been the the realization that like oh we're not just stuck with our past like th- sure there there might be like consequences from the past that are permanent but like our feelings about the past our our hang ups can actually be transformed you know it's it's not just that we're i don't know the memory can be re- rewritten you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: in ways that are they're very beneficial f- for us you know um and so yeah i highly recommend for anybody it's very accessible bruce's book um unlocking the emotional brain it's written for counselors and it's like kind of academic but like i think it's accessible enough that most people could get the point and there's a lot of case studies in there which really illustrate the point well um but just the point being that like yeah there's these um Oftentimes stuff like anxiety and depression is actually a the body's attempt to protect itself from something that it's deeply afraid of. Um, and so it, it kind of reframes everything and it's a different way of thinking that is not very natural to people, I think, because we're not used to thinking of our bodies as good. And I really think, I mean, I, I think this is you can trace this kind of thing back to Descartes and that type of thinking where it's like, we, we've detached ourselves from our bodies. And now that we think the true self is in the mind and the body's just this appendage, you know, you know, like my coworkers like to call it like the, what is it? The meat bag and where we live in meat space, you know? And it's like, that's a very um, critical view of the body where the mind is valued. The body is undervalued. Well, yeah, of course they're going to get out of alignment and they're not going to be integrated with each other. And that disintegration is painful, you know, and then reintegration is, is what can bring healing, but it requires you to value the body and value the mind together as a system and not as separate parts. And honestly, I've made this mental shift. that's hard to describe, but like, I think I was very caught up in kind of the Cartesian dualism before. And through this, like, I don't view myself as a mind with a body. Like I, I, I now see my whole system as me. And that sounds so obvious, but it's like, I really didn't see it that way before, you know? Um, And so I guess, I, yeah, I mean, the, the point for me is just that everything's gotten integrated together. And one of the benefits of that is, I mean, the integration has happened at many levels of abstraction. And so even, um, you know, I used to have all that angst about different religious traditions and trying to figure out like, Oh, you know, should I be Catholic or Orthodox or Protestant and what kind of Protestant or should I not be a Christian or should I be some kind of weird, mystical esoteric guy or I had all this angst about it because it felt like, you know, I could see value in all of them, but it was kind of a disintegrated set of values where that I couldn't fit together. And like now that like my fundamental belief is starting to be transformed into a place of like, oh, no, things are coherent and things are good and God is good and he loves me. It's no longer a threat to see these things that are disintegrated. It's more just a curiosity of like, oh, okay, how can I think about that? You know, which is a much better place to be, it feels like. It, you know, it, it feels like I can I can be content and peaceful and joyful even as I'm trying to figure out, like, yeah, should I be Protestant? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It, it just doesn't bother me like it used to. Does that make sense? That's really the the point I'm trying to get across. Um.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that especially that aspect of coming to a place of recognizing that God is good all the time, no matter what's happening in your life, God is good, creates a different kind of a lens through which to see problems and explorations and um, criticisms and everything else. Because... then if, if you're looking at different religious traditions, <clears throat> you can look at it through the lens of where do I see the goodness of God here? Instead of where are the problems here? Or, you know, where are the inconsistencies here? Or does right. not line up with this ph- philosophical tradition or whatever, but you know, where do I see the goodness of God here? And I I mean, I've ser- I certainly feel like after having talked to people of all these different religious traditions on the channel here that I can see the goodness of God in all of those in, you know, in orthodoxy and in Catholicism and in um, Protestantism. And there are probably also errors in all of them. And, you know, there's probably also human pride locked up in all of them and, you know, all of that. But but if what you're looking for is the goodness of God, you're going to find it, you know, and it's way more fun to find the goodness of God than it is to find all the problems. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, um, how did you learn how to listen to yourself? Like when you're saying you recognize, oh, the pain is here, but, you know, it's actually coming from here. Like, uh, that's a leap. Well, how, how how did you come to that? And do you remember the the process yes. that? You need to write these things down while it's still fresh because i right. you think you'll always remember it but by next year you'll be so far along the road that yeah. these things you learned early on you you won't remember them
1: yeah no that's that's a good point um it was a lot of trial and error um so i was in i was in so much pain by this point that like once i had a shred of hope that there was something i could do about it myself I would drop everything in. I mean, I would, I literally spend all my free time doing it. And so there were times where on a Saturday I, I would spend 12 hours in a row just working on this stuff, doing, just trying to figure out like, what, what can I release? What does it feel like? Cause I basically what I started paying attention to like, what does it feel like when there's real progress that happens, even if it's like a tiny, tiny amount. And, um, so I, I would notice that every once in a while in kind of the armpit area. It was like, whereas I would massage stuff and the pain would go away momentarily, but then come back, there was this like burning sensation that would happen down there. It was very sharp. but Then as soon as it was gone, it felt like relief. It felt like I, I could just kind of feel, I mean, I think what I was feeling was blood flow in in areas that hadn't had a lot of blood flow, but it, it felt like some kind of relief and and warmth. And so I just started paying attention for that feeling. Like, how can I get more of that feeling? But yeah, it was very trial and error. Um, And probably if I had, you know, found the right doctor or PT or whatever, like they might have been able to help me through that a lot better. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that does kind of speak to, there's this weird inverse relationship between like, okay, if you take the time to acquire knowledge yourself, then you have a much deeper intuition about it versus if I just go read a book about it it's like I sort of acquire all that knowledge but it's kind of hollow and fragile and like I don't really get it intuitively you know and that kind of feels like where we're at with our whole culture right now where it's like with the advent of of just kind of globalism and the internet and it's like we we're we're acquiring all this knowledge but it's not knowledge we earned ourselves you know I can go learn about all kinds of stuff, but I, I'm not learning through intuition. I'm not learning through actual experience. And so it's, it's hollow and fragile, you know? And so it's been honestly a very valuable experience for me to kind of stumble through this because I feel so much like, yeah, it's like now, okay, like at the moment, I'm feeling a little bit of tension right here, you know? And I can, I can recognize like, okay, that's, that's because of this angle and like, whatever. And I can deal with that later. I can also recognize, okay, I started picking up on, on that when I answered this question, because I don't know how to answer this question. I'm a little anxious about that. So I started noticing it as soon, you know, and so it's like, I'm, I'm putting all that together and just, just paying attention, basically. Um, I guess I don't have a better way to describe it. And the meditation was helpful. Because well, the, it, it the, was like the
0: paying attention thing. I mean, we keep coming back to that, don't we? On on every yeah. level, how important paying attention is. But but we t- take kind of as lip service what that means. But yeah. there's really a very deep meaning to this whole issue of paying attention.
1: Yeah. And I mean that is it, it I've had this interesting experience where like through all this, I'm now understanding Verveke's work on a level that I didn't before. Because basically everything he's describing is the stuff I'm learning through this trial and error process that, yeah, it's, it's about salience and attention and figuring out what's relevant and what's not relevant and how, you know, it, it yeah, it, it is all about attention. It's, it's, there's all this data out there. We're being flooded with data and these memories, you know, these emotional memories and stuff that we're filtering it all through is kind of our, It's like our salience landscape, right? Like when I talk about having that memory there that I'm filtering things through and I feel all this despair anytime I look at anything, I mean, that's my salience landscape, right? And so really the work I'm doing here is what John might call salience landscaping, like transforming the landscape so that you're seeing different things as relevant. You know, even like um, a year ago, I was like about to move away from this town because I'm in like kind of the heart of Dallas, Fort Worth. And there's a lot of concrete here. It's not very beautiful. I moved here from Denver, you know? And so I would always complain about the concrete and I would refer to this as a concrete wasteland and, you know, and just all that kind of stuff because that was my salience landscape, you know? And, and now I, f- I feel the opposite. It's very hard to describe because it's like, I walk outside now and I'm I'm noticing the trees and the leaves and the colors and the beauty and like, Nothing out there changed. I'm living in the same city, you know, but my my salience landscape is wildly different to the point where I'm driving down the road and it's just beautiful to me. And I feel so privileged to live in a place that's like got grass and trees and restaurants and culture. And it's like I didn't feel that way about my city before, you know and i could i could i could i mean we could take hours and i could describe that kind of experience with every facet of my life you know my job and this little corner and all of it but it's like it it was something that was it was a gift that was given to me i mean this was a grace that was given to me that's kind of how it feels you know and it is about attention and it's so, and it's like it, i didn't i didn't have to force myself to pay attention differently like it's happened naturally which has been really nice you know
0: um somehow I, I somehow i didn't realize you were in dallas i have a really good friend in dallas um yeah Who moved there maybe four four or five years ago from the bay area okay a professor of economics here and then she retired and moved to dallas with, Fort Worth with her husband she lives i think i want to say maybe plano area
2: okay
0: mm-hmm. um and I've thought and thought about coming to visit her sometime. So if I do, well, if you do, yeah. so <laughs> have to connect up.
2: Yeah. But she's a good. big
0: she's a big Jordan Peterson fan too. So okay. If you guys ever decide to do a meetup, I'm sure she would join in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but so you're near Grapevine. That's a mm-hmm. really pretty place.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there definitely is plenty of natural beauty around here. Um, it's just. I mean part of it is the cultural consciousness you know i think it gets hot here in the summers and people complain and so then you start focusing more on like Ugh, well it's high and it's concrete and i have to drive hours for good hiking and you know that's what that's what that's how people talk about the city mm-hmm. and and so that kind of further solidifies that sort of negative critical salience landscape mm-hmm. right and it's like mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> I remember um, a good friend of mine or the one who invited me to this new church I'm at. He's become a really, really good friend. And he sees things more in that way where he's like, oh, yeah, it's beautiful out here. People just don't notice it, you know. And I thought that was like the dumbest thing I'd ever heard when he first told me. He was like, no, it's not. Like, objectively, it's not. It's ugly here, you know. And now I like kind of get it. I'm like, man, like a lot of things can be beautiful if you allow them to be, you know. I'm sure you understand this as an artist like it's
0: well I mean I started understanding that I've lived many different places in my life and some of them when I first like I when I first moved to North Dakota I thought I had landed on the craters of the moon it just seemed so desolate and hopeless to me and I lived there for um maybe five or six years by the time I moved I just thought it was the most beautiful place I'd ever been. And you know, part of it is just um closeness, relate, relationship, um, having experiences in a place. And and this is long before I was a Christian, but but just because we we went a lot of places and we explored and and it becomes a part of your life and you just begin to see the beauty of it. Um but I was thinking about the salience landscaping thing. I think there's one more one more piece there. You quoted to me one time something that it was either Michael Polanyi or Esther Meek had said about indeterminate future.
1: Manifestations.
0: Manifestations. Okay. Um, when she uses that phrase, I think she's talking about the same thing as when Jordan Peterson talks about that thing that glimmers out in front of you that that future oh. drawing you forward yeah. and i think that what that is i mean my my picture of what that is is that all knowledge all real knowledge that is available to us is actually a gift that god is just waiting to give and <clears throat> it's waiting out there in our future <clears throat> but there's too much there to take in and so he highlights some little part of it some little aspect and that draws us forward to to learn something about that aspect that he's showing us and then that that kind of solidifies our purpose and draws us forward a little bit more and he keeps off so there it's a gift it's always a gift the things that show up in the salience landscape that draw us forward that pull us upward. Those things are a gift coming to us, not something that now if you try to grasp it, then it's not a gift anymore. I guess that's what happened with the apple and or the fruit in the garden, right? And the gift was there, but the but the gift was intended to be received at the right time. And instead they grasped it. But um I think God is always offering those little gifts, those indeterminate future manifestations are these offerings that are coming at us all the time but if we're not paying attention or if we're too bound up with our own stuff or
1: um yeah i'm glad you brought that up actually because like um i've been reflecting some on esther meek's work and you know michael Polanyi's work as it relates to all this because you know i I had that question for so many years about like yeah tension between whatever science and religion like healing through Jesus versus healing through psychology, you know, that was really troubling me for a long time, even as I started my, my master's program. And I think I'm starting to understand how Polanyi's work kind of applies to this because, you know, he he kind of talks about that whole thing of like subsidiary focal integration or it might've been Esther Meek that like really drew that out of his work. So she talks about like, yeah, this idea that like, uh, there's all this stuff on the periphery. There's all this all these things. And if you try to like look at them, then you lose focus of the whole, right? Mm-hmm. And so th- the way you actually engage with the world is by losing focus of all the individual things and then kind of unfocusing and letting it all just kind of be present with you. You know, and then you know, she'll use this analogy of like, okay, if if you're using a hammer, if you're like focused on the hammer, you're gonna be terrible with it, right? You have to work through the hammer like you have to integrate it with your your whole being and and you're not focused directly on it you're just kind of unfocusedly taking in all the information and then just letting it flow right and it kind of feels like that's how it's gone with all this stuff i've done because like if i had focused on just the physical healing or just the emotional stuff or just the religious question it's like it really wasn't any one of those it was all three of them bound up inextricably in this complex system that I'll never understand. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to ask, okay, did Jesus heal me? Or did memory reconsolidation heal me? It, it, it doesn't feel like a salient question to me anymore in the way that it used to. It's like, I don't know. Yes. Both something like it. it, Does that make sense at all? It's like, it feels Mm -hmm. like as you integrate it all together, You're not focused on any one thing. You're subsidiarily taking it all in. And it's just, it is a system, you know, and it's the system God has designed. So he's designed it so that the truth sets us free. Mm -hmm. And that's that's true in a literal sense, referring to Christ himself. It's also true on many levels of abstraction in our day-to-day experience. You know, Mm -hmm. the truth sets us free. If I'm sinning in some way that I'm feeling shame about, like, get it out there, you know? For a Catholic, that might mean going to confession. For a Protestant, that might mean talking to a friend. Whatever. Like, the truth sets you free. And and that is the pattern of reality that manifests on all these levels. And it's the same with the, the physical healing. Like, in some real sense, you could say that, like, that's what's happening there, too. Because, like, the truth is that that tendon that has been tight for years doesn't need to be. And it needs to see the truth. It needs to be told the truth lovingly in a way that it's willing to receive, you know? And and so the tree sets it free and the same thing with the emotional thing. I had to descend down to that deep place where all the despair was stored. And, you know, I, I I didn't say this earlier, but I was doing it through like inner child work. And so literally I would envision like, okay, there's a little five-year-old inside me. What is he feeling? And that was what let me access that. And so at first, the first time I did that, it was terrifying because he was just screaming like screaming in terror and so I had to, I had to work through that. I had to come up with imagery, you know, walking with that little inner child in places where he felt safe. I mean, it, was, it felt a very weird experience, you know, cause I'm like, I didn't talk about it cause like I'd sound like a psycho, but it's what helped that little inner child, whatever that represents needed to see the truth. And the truth is you don't have to be scared. You're protected. You're safe. You're okay. And as, as that little inner child started to believe that, stuff opened up, you know. And so, anyway, I, all that to say, I guess I'm just seeing how everything fits together now. And it, it fits together as a harmonious system, which makes perfect sense, right? Like, that's what Paul says is God's plan for creation, right? Like, it's all going to be brought together in Christ and fully integrated, and that integration is what healing is, you know? And um, it, so it makes perfect sense to me that that's, that's God's plan for for everything on a cosmic level. And that's what brings healing to us on individual levels. And so the body is a system where all the parts need to be integrated together. The church is a body. And that church is a system where it all needs to be integrated together, you know? And that kind of makes sense of like, okay, how can God hold a whole church responsible for their sins in Revelation? Or how can he hold the whole city of Sodom responsible or a whole nation of Israel responsible? Well, because no one component is responsible for the thing. Like the things that a nation does are the result of the whole system of that nation, right? Right. And so quite actually, it is the system itself that is responsible, you know, and, you know, and a postmodernist could take that idea and run off with it and say, like, well, you know, that you can go off the rails with that. But like,
0: well, it, I think it's it's both things at the same time, right? It's the whole system and it's the one person
1: mm-hmm.
0: or, the, or the one thing. Yes,
1: yeah, it's, it's the one and the minute. one
0: thing that's in the middle of your back, right? That, that right. that's 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 maybe where the pain is centered. So it's obviously uh-huh. responsible to some extent, but all the other things are a system that are creating a place where that thing can happen. So that's responsible too. But I think they right. both have to be, Um, because when you were talking about the system and like the, the system of the, the whole system, the thing came to me was when um I just lost my brain (laughs) um the gulag archipelago solzhenitsyn when he says um, one man who tells the truth can bring down a tyranny so the one is the one is essential but that one who doesn't tell the truth is impacting this one that's impacting this one. And then the whole system gets twisted up. So so one, one element of the system can twist everything into a mess or one element of a system can upright itself and pull everything back. So the whole thing is united, but it's the one and the many. Because while you were talking about the system, I started running through in my mind, my old mantra, unity harmony contrast dominance repetition variation gradation and balance and they all seem to have a part in this thing that you're talking about where coherence therapy unites with spiritual healing and truth and truth and freedom and that 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 seems to be part of that coherent system which is i think underneath
1: everything yeah cuz i mean yeah those those principles of art you just listed i mean those are principles of the body as well right in mm-hmm. some sense like mm-hmm. and yeah
0: well I mean if it's if it's true that the universe is a work of art which I mean I believe that I believe that God created the universe and he had a purpose for it and it's a work of art because he's an artist and he's creative and then then those principles that I don't know what word to use The principles themselves don't manifest reality. God manifests reality, but maybe he's manifesting reality through this framework of principles, because these principles all connect everything together in a way that allows this truth and freedom to operate. So maybe truth and freedom operate kind of like stability and flexibility. Because truth is absolute stability, right? But then freedom is this flexibility. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the order and the chaos thing that Pajot is always going on, or Anne Peterson. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean, I think that's why I connected so well with the Pajot brothers, you know, because I think what they're doing is kind of helping people capture a vision for, yeah, how things integrate together. It's not one or the other. You need the order and the chaos, you know, you need the sun and the moon. You need the left hand and the right hand, you know, I mean, that's, that's such a common thread through like Jonathan's work, especially. And that's kind of what, how I've, how I've started conceptualizing all this healing stuff. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, it's all together you know, and there's, I don't know. I lost the thread, but yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I I have an episode coming out on Friday, which is in just a few days, December 7th, with um, Richard Watson, who is a colleague of Michael Levin. And Richard Watson has come up with a new theory He sent me the videos about the theory, like five and a half hours worth of laying this theory out. Um, Yeah. And I I think I understand what he's getting at. I listened to it a number of times and I didn't do a very good job on the episode because I had a lot of questions I wanted to ask him. So I never really let him like get the whole theory out there for the people. So if anybody's going to watch the episode, they really also need to watch his theory so they can understand it. But the basic idea of his theory is from a scientific standpoint of how to look at life and mind as a song.
2: Interesting.
0: Yeah, that life arises out of music.
1: harmony very complicated all, all harmonic, the patterns that are found in music
0: harmonic resonance and the way that harmonic resonance um so it, if you think of and these are all analogies this is not yeah, sure. it's not the thing okay this is just a way to right. think about the thing if you yeah. could think about life arising, within a manifold of some sort and that manifold it consists of viscoelastic structure viscoelastic means that it gives way but it it will bounce back but it won't always bounce back to exactly where it was so it'll give way but then it it sort of permits a deformation in itself this manifold is continually permitting a deformation from, from whatever weight is placed on it and that so as as this viscoelastic manifold relaxes then things move and things move according to harmonic resonance and so as they move they begin to form they move and they form and and that like i said it's five and a half hours long so i'm doing a very bad job explaining it fascinating theory but the reason i brought him up is that that he and and levin are working on this whole idea of morphogenesis that that somehow life um life the the idea that life has form is very mysterious that it's not just a bunch of particles it actually has form, and, and you know and things form up in a way that Animals form up in a way that they have two arms and both arms are the same size, and all of that is very, very mysterious. But the the thing that they use about this truth and freedom, the phrase they use is stability and plasticity. Okay. That organisms evince stability, but also plasticity. And the plasticity is like a built-in adaptive mechanism that allows the cells to do more than they were evolved to do so maybe they're evolved to be an arm cell or something but if the eye gets injured the eye can actually send out a signal i need more eye stem cells and an arm a cell from the arm can move over there and become an eye stem cell i mean that kind of stuff that means that there's all this adaptivity built into the structures in the body yeah so you level that it- up and think about that in terms of your muscles and your organs and then level that up and think of that in terms of the individual within the community or within the church and then level that up and think of the communities within the nation right so we obviously have more to talk about we have to have another session <laughs> yeah. this has been great ryan i'm so happy yeah. for you literally i'm yeah. in, i'm in tears with joy and and also you have really um you brought some things up in my mind and heart while you were talking that i need to go work on yeah especially that inner child you know you were talking about that little five-year-old i got some vivid images i need to go work on
1: yeah it's been i was i was skeptical at first because that just sounds like such a dumb weird thing but like there's a power to it now, now, again, I, I had to learn how to not make it a cognitive thing. I had to learn how to make it a experiential thing. It's mm-hmm. so hard to put into words. Well,
0: um, oh, because that's, that's what yeah, we i run away to... from. I mean, that's the reason I've never gone yeah. back and looked at that stuff, because I don't want to remember that. I don't want to remember that feeling. I can yeah. I can run it over in my head. Sure, I could tell the story a million times, but I don't want to go back and live it. Yeah, but I think the power is in going back and living it.
1: Yeah, it's been very powerful for me to, um, I, I actually got this idea from um, oh gosh, a book, I can't think of the name of it, it had something to do with attachment issues, um, but basically uh, this kind of like counseling modality that focuses on getting people into those memories and then imagining what it would feel like if a loving parent who was attuned to you was like there present with you. Like, what would they do? What would that feel like? And that, that actually, that imaginal experience can actually transform things, you know? And so I, I kind of took that idea and, you know, used God for that. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's been, it's been very, very powerful.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: what'll happen is, you know, even if I'm just driving down the road, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm headed to someone's house or some event and I'm just feeling weird. I can tell like something's going on. I don't know what it is. I will, I will do this. Like, I, you know, um, I'll say, okay, I'm going to go into that place. I'm going to see what's going on with this inner child. God's going to be there. He'll be safe. Like, let's figure it out. And usually it's, it's some, something that once I, once I'm aware of it, it's like, oh, that makes sense. You know, I feel sad today because of X, Y, Z, and I wasn't admitting that to myself. And so it came out as anxiety and irritation, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, it can be really powerful.
0: I can see that. Thank you for joining me. Um, Yeah.
1: Thanks for having me, Karen.
0: Let's do this again sometime. Okay. Bye-bye.